Hello, welcome to episode four of this podcast that is me uh, (laughs) me featuring the encyclopedia. That's not what I wanted to say, but that's basically what it is. Um, And and this week is going to be exciting for a couple reasons. Uh, one is that I think my nose is a little bit more clear than last time, so that's good news. Oops, my AC is turning on. Yeah. Okay. So, it's good news that my nose is a little bit clear, but it's still a little bit stuffy. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's mold in my bathroom, like maybe even dangerous mold. I'm about to go out of the country for a week, so hopefully that will let me see if this this cold and my health stuff is related to the mold or if it's just, you know, a normal old cold. That's a car passing by. Um, like I said in the last episode, I decided to move my recording location to my bedroom because generally it's a quieter room. But there's also the outside, um, and it's like rush hour right now. So it might actually be pretty horrible this week. Uh, We'll see. Um, What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, about being out of town next week. um, I may skip next week, which so far I've had a decent track record of putting this out weekly. So excuse the missing week if if you're already an ultra fan that really, really needs an hour of the encyclopedia in their week to, to keep things sane. Um, I hope there's no one out there who's like that. I mean, sometimes I think I'm like that, actually. I definitely need radio a lot. I, I need a lot of spoken word um, in my life to keep my internal chatter to a, a normal level. Um... Okay, and then there's a there's going to be a surprise later in the episode that you will see. Well, sorry, it's not a surprise. I've been teasing it. I've been saying that I'm going to have um, a friend on to sort of talk a little bit about what what I'm doing here with this podcast. Um, so we'll do that for a little bit at the end. So where we left off last week is aircraft carrier and all other kinds of airplane things coming up. So here we go. Aircraft carrier. An aircraft carrier is a huge ship with a military airport on top of its, sorry, on its top deck. (laughs) But it is also many more things. It is a floating town with movie theaters, restaurants, shops, and laundries. It has a church, a post office, and a hospital. In it are big shops that repair airplanes, places to store ammunition, bombs and fuel, and almost everything else that would be found at a military airport. I almost just said airport, like my mom says airport, hairport, or at least, yeah, hairport. She adds a lot of H's to things because she speaks French. It's like a reverse thing because so many H's are silent in French. Reverse psychology pronunciation. Okay, a jet airplane needs a long runway in which to gain the speed needed to take off or to lose speed on landing. Airports on land usually have runways about 10,000 feet long, almost two miles. But there's not much room on a carrier, so a plane is thrown into the air, moving fast enough to fly. An An airplane is launched much as a small model glider is put into the air with a rubber band. 
Hooks on an airplane are attached to a powerful stream, no, on a powerful steam catapult or slingshot that runs down a track on the deck. On landing, another hook on the trail of an airplane catches cables strung across the flight deck. The ends of the cables are attached to cylinders that move in a big pipe filled with oil. The cables relax or give when an airplane first catches them, but they bring it to a stop in about 125 feet. That's amazing. Um, sorry, I feel like my my brain is a little bit fried today because I've already been doing a lot of stuff, so I'm, apologies if my reading is not as clear as normal. Um, there are a couple photos over here. There's a photo of the USS Enterprise, the world's largest aircraft carrier, launches airplanes into the air from a runway on the deck of the ship. That's a cool photo of it being uh, launched slash taking off. And then there's a photo of the cables that are across the deck that slow down the landing plane. Um, they're pretty thick. They're like maybe an inch and a half thick or something. That's not that thick. <laughs> Two inches, maybe. Okay. Um, okay, wait. There are more photos. There's the USS Langley that was America's first aircraft carrier and went into service in 1922, carrying two winged airplanes. Do you say winged or winged? Two winged airplanes? Winged airplanes? I don't know. And then there's another one that's, uh, that says, an important carrier of World War II was a USS Yorktown. Its hangar deck had room for men to work on the weapons the airplane carried, while other men relaxed watching a movie. And in this photo, that's what you see. It's really small and black and white, but you see people working on the airplane while in the back there's a bunch of people watching a movie. That's interesting. Okay. History. Aircraft carriers got their start on November 14, 1910. On that day, Eugene Eli flew an airplane off a wooden platform on the cruiser USS Birmingham. Aircraft carriers were not important in World War I because they were not practical but several countries worked to improve these floating airports. Aircraft carriers became really important when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, Hawaii on December 7, 1941. The airplanes that carried the bombs came from Japanese aircraft carriers. This very successful attack almost wrecked the United States Navy stationed in the Pacific. Less than three years later, in three great battles between June and October 1944, Planes from, USS, from U.S. aircraft carriers practically destroyed all the Japanese carrier fleet. This sped the victory in World War II. Carriers today. Today, only three countries, the United States, Great Britain, and Australia, have large modern carriers with jet airplanes. I don't think that's true. There are probably more. The Soviet Union is building small carriers, but will possibly build bigger ones. However, the U.S. has more carriers than the rest of the world combined. The most interesting aircraft carrier afloat today is the USS Enterprise. It is the only aircraft carrier powered by nuclear or atomic energy. It is also the biggest military ship ever built. The Enterprise is 1,123 feet long. The deck where the airplanes take off and land is 257 feet wide, almost the length of a football field. From keel to mast, it is, it is 200 feet high, equal to a 25-foot a 25-story skyscraper. Wow. In combat or on patrol duty, the Enterprise carries about 5,000 men and 85 jet airplanes. Most of the airplanes can fly faster than the speed of sound and can carry atomic bombs. 
The Enterprise is an attack carrier designed to go anywhere in the world. Another type of carrier is the anti-submarine warfare carrier. It is smaller and has slower airplanes as well as helicopters on board. The ship and the airplanes use complicated electronic devices to find and destroy enemy submarines that are trying to sink friendly ships or attack coastal cities. Aircraft carriers such as the USS Hornet are also used to recover astronauts returning from space. Helicopters fly to the splashdown site and carry the men in capsules to the carrier. Military experts argue about which is more useful, aircraft carriers or land-based airplanes. Both are expensive. The people who favor carriers claim that carriers can be anywhere in the world in a short time ready to fight. They say it takes months to build airfields, supply them, and get them ready for use. Then, when the war is over, they must be left behind. But the floating airport comes home when war is over. It is ready to go somewhere else if necessary. Most aircraft carriers built in the future will probably have atomic engines. They may be able to run for 10 years on one load of fuel. Uh, and then there's one last photo of an aircraft carrier. And it shows that the runway is set at an angle, and it allows jet planes to take off and land without running into other planes or the tall radar and instrument house. It's amazing, this photo. It's old, but there are, like, many planes on it, and, like, big planes, too. It's not me. Okay, next. Air cushion vehicle. An air cushion vehicle is a machine that rides on a layer of compressed air that holds it off the ground or water. It may stay only a few inches or several feet above the surface, depending on the vehicle's design. The advantage of being off the surface is that there is less friction between the machine and the surface. Friction is a force that opposes movement when one ob object or surface is rubbed against another. It is caused, for example, by a car's wheels turning against the ground or by a boat's hull moving through water. The more friction there is between a vehicle and the ground or water, the slower the vehicle travels. You probably cannot push even a small car. <laughs> you would fight the weight of the car and the friction of its wheels and the axles. But if a strong wind underneath the car lifted it straight up even one inch, you could probably move the far as long as the air held it off the ground. All you would have to do is push the car through the air, and the friction between the car and the air would be very little. The wind would be an air cushion. Did I say the wind? The wind would be an air cushion. An air cushion can also be formed by a strong wind blowing down from the car to lift it off the ground. Air cushion vehicles are, uh, use large fans to create the strong wind. Air cushion vehicles, ACVs, come in several designs. One works only over water. Another must follow a big track. Other ACVs can travel over any flat surfaces. Scientists and inventors thought of these machines as early as 1716, but they did not have the materials or the powerful engines to make them work. The first ACVs that really flew were built in the early 1950s. Big fans made the air cushions that lifted the vehicles off the ground. Propellers or jet engine exhaust then drove them forward. Modern ACVs, like the one in the photo on the previous page, usually look like boats. Several fans may work to push the air down, and as many as lo four large propellers push the machine forward. 
Most ACVs travel about 20 miles an hour, but the one that follows a track may go 150 miles an hour. Some ACVs have skirts made of a rubber-like material. These skirts are attached around the bottom of the machine. They hold the air cushion in place. An ACV with skirts can ride as high as 10 feet above the surface. It can jump wide ditches and cross marshes. ACVs have also been tested that travel, uh, that travel over ice and snow. Some ACVs have been driven over deserts, but sand sometimes gets into the engines. Air cushion vehicles called hovercraft are being used on a regular schedule to cross the English Channel between England and France. Is that still true? Many nations are using them to see how they compare with other kinds of transportation. Hmm. Fascinating. I don't feel like they really blew up the way, like, in this amount of time. But they're, I guess they're still around. There's a photo of an air cushion vehicle that is ferrying passengers across the San Francisco Bay. It's cute. And then there's one that's like a drawing of a truck air cushion, no, sorry, track air cushion vehicle. It says runs on a thin cushion of air above a track. The track guides the vehicle along. Okay, this is all information we know. Uh, cool. Air Force. One job of an air force is to defend its country by using airplanes and missiles against the country's enemies. Air forces have other jobs, too. One is rescuing people who are hurt or lost. All air forces do many of the same jobs, although each country organizes its air force differently. Only the United States Air Force, USAF, is described here. USAF Combat Commands the Military Airlift Command, MAC, is one of the four main combat command commands of the sorry, is one of the four main combat commands of the USAF. MAC furnishes air transportation for the Army, Navy, and Air Force. It carries anything needed in a hurry. MAC has all kinds of aircraft, from small helicopters to the huge CFA jet transport the largest airplane ever built. The CFA is almost as long as a football field, 246 feet, and can carry tanks and trucks or as many as 900 soldiers. MAC also runs a rescue service. It has helicopters and special airplanes to pick up wounded soldiers and pilots shot down over enemy territory. The rescue service has bases in many countries. It has saved many civilians who got lost or had accidents on mountains or in canyons, forests, deserts, or snowstorms. At the president's request, MAC, I don't know if they say MAC, maybe they say MAC. I've never heard that acronym out loud. Um, at the president's request, MAC flies medicines, doctors, foods, and supplies to countries where there have been earthquakes, floods, and other disasters. MAC also helps pick up astronauts in the ocean when they return from space flights. A special MAC squadron flies the President of the United States and his staff all over the world, his or her staff all over the world. The people in the squadron, from pilots to mechanics to clerks, are carefully picked. The squadron's aircraft range from small helicopters to big jet transports. The squadron is often called the Air Force One Squadron because any airplane the President flies in is Air Force One. 
The Strategic Air Command, SAC, is another major part of the USAF. SAC is set up to attack military bases and factories in an enemy's country in case of war. SAC's main weapons are bombers and guided missiles. The B-52 is the biggest bomber. It can carry atomic bombs. It can fly halfway around the world at 650 miles an hour without refueling. But it can be refueled while flying by a tanker airplane. A tanker is like a flying gasoline pump. It hooks up with the bomber in flight and pumps fuel into its tanks. It's amazing. SAC's Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, ICBMs, are kept in deep concrete-lined holes in the ground, called silos. An ICBM carries an atom bomb in the nose. It can travel 7,000 miles at 15,000 miles an hour. Atomic missiles can be fired only by direct order from the President of the United States. They have never been fired. Right? Has that changed since? No. Yeah, I, I think that's correct. The Aerospace Defense Co... Well, one second, one second. Before I go there, there's a photo of a B-52 called the Stratofortress, and it's a long-range heavy bomber. It can even carry air-to-surface guided missiles. The B-52 is the most commonly used bomber during the 1950s and 60s. Okay. Oh, so what was that? Let's see. The Aerospace Defend Command, ADC, operates from a huge cave drilled out of a mountain near Colorado Springs, Colorado. It has computers, radar, telephones, and radios to keep in touch with bases around the world. Its job is to protect the U.S. from enemy airplanes and missiles. ADC shares its cave with a group from Canada. Together, they make up the North American Air Defense Command. No rad. To shoot down enemy airplanes flying over Canada or the U.S., NORAD would use fighter interceptors and surface-to-air missiles, SAMs. Fighter interceptors are small, very fast airplanes that cannot go very far but can fly almost straight up. The F-104G is a fighter interceptor that carries atomic air-to-air -air guided missiles, AAMs. The Bowmark is a surface-to-air missile. It, too, has a small atom bomb in the nose. A bow mark is fired from the ground like a rocket. The Tactical Air Command, TAC, helps Army soldiers capture enemy territory. TAC has fighter bombers to carry bombs, machine guns, cannons, and rockets to shoot at enemy tanks, trucks, trains, and storage place for ammunition. The Air Force also works, usually secretly, to find out what enemy countries are doing. This is called reconnaissance. Uh, Wait, how do you say it in English? Reconnaissance? Please be quiet. I'm recording. Thank you. Reconnaissance. Reconnaissance. That's it. This is called reconnaissance. Reconnaissance satellites circle the Earth and take pictures of enemy territory. Reconnaissance planes can fly 2,000 miles an hour at 80,000 feet, twice as high as most airliners. Cameras in these planes photograph tiny details. Experts can recognize different kinds of cars in such pictures. Other USAF command, commands train the men of the Air Force, men and women of the Air Force, handle supplies, and support the combat commands. The USAF presently has about 15,000 airplanes and almost 800,000 people. The people must be highly trained to take care of complicated airplanes, missiles, and radio and radar equipment. 
There's a photo of an F-104 Starfighter. It's a lightweight fighter interceptor. It's at a world speed and altitude record. The F-104 is one of the smallest and lightest jet fighters. I wonder if something else have, has beat that record since. But I can imagine some kid reading this in the 70s and being like, whoa, it's the fastest thing ever. That just reminded me that I used to love reading the Guinness Book of World Records. I loved reading it. Um, let's see. There's a photo of that says, underneath it says, an airman tries on a flight suit at an officer training school. Here, men and women who want to become officers undergo a course of study and exercise. Then underneath, an F-4 Phantom dives toward a target. The F-4 is swift, but it can also carry a heavy bomb load. It is a multi-purpose. No, it is multi-purpose and can be used as a fighter or a bomber. It looks crazy. Oh, we're not done with Air Force. I thought we were done. Okay, here we go. History of the Air Force. The U.S. Air Force started August 1st, 1907 as part of the Army Signal Corps with one officer and two enlisted men. The division got its first plane in 1909 from the Wright brothers. It carried two people, flew 40 miles an hour, and cost $25,000. It was not easy to learn to fly at the time because the two Wright brothers were the only instructors. No American airplanes flew in combat during World War I. By the end of the First World War... In 1918, the U.S. had 58,000 air service officers and men in France. Many of them had learned to fly in France and England using British and French planes in combat. From earliest days, Army pilots did not want to get to be controlled by Army ground forces. Most ground generals did not understand the airplane. They thought it should be used as a sort of long-range gun on the battlefield. The pilots believed airplanes should carry the war to an enemy's country and destroy his ability to make war. The pilots were considered rebels by many of the old-fashioned army generals. General Billy Mitchell, assistant chief of the Air Service, was court-martialed for speaking up in public about his dreams of a real Air Force. In 1926, a new group, the Army Air Corps, was formed. Then, six months before Pearl Harbor, the Army, the army Air Forces were organized. Under the command of General Henry H. Hap Arnold, over 2 million men and women and almost 80,000 airplanes of the AAF helped win World War II. The U.S. furnished thousands of airplanes to its allies. They flew in both America and the Pacific. They were one big reason why the Allies won the war. In 1947, the U.S. Air Force was established as a separate military service, equal in status to the Army and the Navy. <laughs> There's a photo... And it says, an, a U.S. airman on duty. His little friend is called Tilly. And there's like a tiny dog that he's like kissing. His little friend. One last photo here. An F-100 Super Sabres. Uh, the F-100 was the first USAF plane to be able to fly at supersonic speeds in level flight. They look badass. <laughs> record some more shall we airline airlines provide many kinds of rapid services 
They carry mail so you can receive it in a short time. They quickly deliver air cargo in huge amounts. Airlines enable people to travel farther and faster than ever before. There are several kinds of airlines. The commuter airlines fly small planes that carry up to 20 people between small cities, or from small cities to larger ones. Local airlines fly between medium-sized cities or from medium-sized to large cities. Their planes may be either propeller-driven or jet-propelled and may carry from 20 to 100 passengers. Trunk airlines usually fly between large cities within a country. Most of their airplanes uh, are jets that carry from 100 to 300 people. International flag carriers fly big jets between the major cities of the world. These four kinds of airlines are called scheduled air carriers. They must fly at the times they advertise to the public, whether their airplanes are filled or not. Cargo airlines carry freight instead of people. They fly fresh vegetables, fruits, and flowers to restaurants, grocery stores, and shops. They carry automobile parts, furniture, and animals for zoos. They deliver almost anything that needs to be delivered quickly and that requires careful handling. Cargo airlines use all kinds of airplanes, including the biggest jets. Charter or supplemental airplanes, uh, airlines sorry, do not have schedules. They rent their airplanes and crews to clubs and other organizations, usually for vacation trips or meetings. The trips are usually planned six months before the flight, and all the passengers must go and come back together. Because a charter airline knows ahead of time that the airplane will be filled with passengers, the fare for each passenger is low. It is usually about half the cost of the same trip on a scheduled airline. What? That can't be true anymore. What? Supplemental airlines fly the same big jets and have the same kinds of crews that the international scheduled airlines use. Great changes have been made since the first airline flight. On January 1st, 1914, a flying boat carried... What? A flying boat carried two passengers from Tampa to St. Petersburg in Florida. The fare was $5 for the 20-mile trip. The Boeing 747 of today is very long, 231 feet, 10 inches, and has four jet engines. It can carry 340 passengers for 6,000 miles at 600 miles an hour. It has a cocktail lounge and elevators to bring food up from the gallery or kitchen to the passenger cabin. My dinner just arrived. PRB. Continuing, all right. The people of an airline. The cockpit of an airliner is called the flight deck. The crew or people who fly the airplane include the captain, the senior pilot who is in charge of the airplane, and another pilot called the first officer. The flight engineer is also a member of the flight crew. He or she is in charge of the mechanical operation of the airplane, which includes everything from the coffee makers to the engines. He or she watches all the meters and gauges in the cockpit and adjusts temperatures, power, fuel, and other things to be sure everything is working right. On long overwater flights, the crew also includes a navigator. The navigator's job is to know where the airplane is at all times. He or she tells the pilot what route to follow and how long the trip should take. I think all that is different now, but I'm not totally sure. The stewards or stewardesses, by the way, they just... Like, everything everything so far, it was like, he, 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 he. I just added, or she. 
and then now it says the stewardesses are called the cabin crew. <laughs> so the steward or stewards or stewardesses are called the cabin crew. There are usually 15 of them on a Boeing 747. Smaller airplanes may have two or three steward, stewards or stewardesses. I'll just say stewards and it'll imply everyone. They serve food but are also trained to take care of sick people and to get passengers out of the airplane quickly in case of an emergency. Many stewards speak several languages so they can talk to passengers from almost any country. Most stewards have been to college. They are very important to airlines because they help make the passenger's flight more pleasant. The maintenance or engineering people take care of the airplanes on the ground. They are a very important part of the airline because they make sure that the airplanes are ready to fly safely. Passengers usually do not see them. Air travel has become so popular that every year the number of passengers who fly in the world's scheduled airlines, not counting charter airlines and private planes, is larger than the total population of the United States. Got a couple photos. Let's see. A group of children enjoy a ride on an airliner. For many, it was their first adventure in the air. Cute. Um, and then there's a photo inside of the cockpit. The most important person of an airplane is the pilot. He or she, together with the rest of the flight deck crew, looks after the safety of everybody aboard the airplane. Little fun fact in the yellow square. If I say yellow square from now on, that means it's a, like a side fact. The first stewardess to serve on an airline was Ellen Church. She helped the passengers on the United Airlines flight from San Francisco, California, to Cheyenne, Wyoming, on May 15, 1930. Cool. And then there's a photo of the Boeing 707, and it says it was the first American jet airliner. It can fly the Atlantic Ocean in six hours, and it flies at almost 600 miles an hour and can carry about 200 people. And lastly... Wow, this cute, like, retro photo of uh, inside an airplane. Everything's very woodsy. An airline stewardess must be well-trained and cheerful. A stewardess is the link between the pilot and the passengers, especially in an emergency. She also tends to the needs of passengers during their trip. He or she. going to start airplane and airplane is like many many pages long so wish me luck but I think I think this will probably take us to the end of the episode honestly let's see here we go airplane on a lonely beach at Kitty Hawk North Carolina on December 17th 1903 a man flew an airplane for the first time the man was Orville Wright the flight was not far only 120 feet the airplane never got more than 20 feet off the ground. Its top speed was only 30 miles an hour. But, unlike earlier aircraft, it was an airplane. It flew under its own power and could be controlled by the pilot. Orville Wright's flight at Kitty Hawk was the first giant step in the development of air and space transportation that would land another American on the moon, only 66 years later. Aviation is today one of the world's largest industries. Orville and Wilbur Wright can be called the fathers of aviation because they were the first to successfully design, build, and fly an engine-powered airplane. 
The first flight was not just luck. The Wright brothers were not scientists or engineers, but they were good and careful mechanics. They had read everything they could find about earlier attempts to fly and why those attempts had failed. They studied very hard and made many experiments on the ground before they tried to fly. They built a simple wind tunnel using an electric fan to test small models of different types of wings before they built an airplane. A wind tunnel is a chamber through which air is blown at different speeds to test the flow of air around and the effects on model airplanes. The Wright brothers discovered the four basic forces that today's engineers and scientists must still work with to design and build huge jets. Why an airplane flies. The forces the Wrights discovered are called lift, weight, thrust, and drag. I'm gonna, I wanna memorize that, so I'm gonna say it again. Lift, weight, thrust, and drag. Lift, weight, thrust, and drag, okay. These forces work in the same way on a small model airplane with a propeller driven by a rubber band as they do on a giant transport plane driven by powerful jet engines. Lift and weight are opposite forces. Lift makes an airplane go up and weight, or gravity, makes it go down. The lift must be stronger than the weight if an airplane is to fly. Thrust and drag are also opposite forces. Thrust makes the airplane go forward and faster, and drag holds it back or slows it down. Thrust must be stronger than drag for an airplane to take off. In the left corner, there's a photo of the Wright brothers' first plane that flew in 1903. Their plane carried, okay, so the same information. Uh, Continuing, okay, to understand how these forces worked on a, uh, work on an airplane, you must look carefully at the airplane itself. The main parts of any airplane are the wings, the engine or engines, the fuselage or cabin, the long part where the pilot and passengers go or cargo, uh, the landing gear, usually two large wheels or groups of wheels, and other parts to support an airplane on the ground, and the tail at the back. Lift. The movement of air around a wing creates lift. A wing of an airplane is curved on top and flat in the bottom. Air moving over the top must move faster than air moving under the bottom because it has a longer distance to travel. The faster air travels, the less pressure it exerts. The air above the wing has a lower pressure than the air below. The higher pressure below forces the airplane up. That is so cool. There's like an experiment for kids. It says, you can easily see how lift works. Tear a strip of paper about two inches wide and eight inches long off a sheet of paper. Hold the strip at one end between your thumb and first finger so the long part hangs down over the back of your hand. Hold your hand near your mouth and blow across the top. The paper wing rises. If the paper were an airplane wing, the whole airplane would rise with it. Okay. Thrust. The forward movement or speed of an airplane overcomes the drag of the air. A turning propeller pulls or pushes an airplane through air, much as a propeller pushes a motorboat through water. A jet engine works on the principle of reaction. The action of hot gases moving out the back of an engine causes a reaction of an airplane moving forward. If more thrust is supplied by either propellers or jets, more lift is created and an airplane can climb. Or, more speed is created if an airplane is flying level. Weight. The weight of an airplane is the weight of the machine plus cargo, passengers, and fuel. This force, which must be overcome by lift, is called gravity. 
Drag. The drag or resistance is caused by the friction of air on every part of the plane. An airplane is going as fast as it can when as much drag as possible is overcome by thrust. Designers reduce the amount of drag by making as many outside surfaces of the airplane as smooth and rounded as possible. The landing gear on most airplanes retracts or pulls up to reduce resistance during flight. Other parts of an airplane. The engines and the wing enable an airplane to fly. However, other things are needed to control its flight. The tail has horizontal stabilizers that look like tiny wings on the tail. It also has a vertical stabilizer that sticks straight up, across, uh, straight up from the middle of the tail. These parts keep an airplane balanced in flight and are called control surfaces. The elevators are attached to the, horizon, sorry, to the horizontal stabilizers. A pilot can move these up or down and apply more or less power to make an airplane climb or descend. The rudder is attached to the vertical stabilizer, but it is not normally used to steer the airplane like a boat. The rudder is used to stabilize the airplane while two movable sections near the wingtips, called ailerons, are used to turn the airplane to the left or right. To turn to the right, the pilot raises the right aileron. I vaguely remember this from the... Oh, sorry, let me finish the sentence. To turn to the right, the pilot raises the right aileron and lowers the left aileron. I remember this now because I took a flying lesson once. It was very fun, and I want to do it again, but it costs money and takes time. Um, but yeah, I think that's what you do with your feet. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's like a foot-powered thing, and yeah, and then it affects in the back. But I just don't remember if it's exact if I'm pronouncing it exactly right. Aileron. Uh, okay. This tips the right wing down and raises the left wing. The airplane then banks to the right and makes a slow, smooth turn. Other wing sections near the fuselage are called flaps. Flaps can be turned down to make the curve of the wing top greater. The increased pressure differences, difference increases lift. To keep an airplane cruising in the air at a particular speed, the thrust or engine power is kept constant and the control surfaces are kept in line. Wait, I think there's more to that sentence. Are kept in line with the horizontal and vertical stabilizers. This is some nerdy stuff. I wish you all could see all the, the images and stuff. Um, if I were a kid and I saw this, I think I would be really stoked. Well, I don't know, maybe I wasn't into flying when I was younger, but now I am. And there's a whole, I mean, if you just look up a, a photo that like um how do you say like what is it what are these called again where like a thing that like everything is named like it shows you the name of everything anyway it shows you like each part of the plane that's cool um and in the middle here i had to turn two pages because there's a photo there's two pages that are just filled with the most famous airplanes and i'll summarize by saying what should I say about them? A lot of them have this thing where there's like a rod attached from the middle of the plane to the back, and I don't know what that's all about. Uh, okay, anyway. That's that. Okay, continuing. Many important parts of an airplane can be seen only in the cockpit where a pilot sits. 
In the cockpit are all the controls and electronic devices that enable a pilot to fly the airplane safely. The flight controls and electronic devices, sorry, the flight controls consist of a wheel or control stick and rudder pedals. The wheel, which looks much like an automobile steering wheel, controls the elevators and ailerons. Oh, okay. To make a right turn, a pilot turns the wheel to the right and pushes the right rudder pedal. Oh, that's what it is, the rudders that are on pedals. If she, I'm just going to say she because it could be me. If she pushes the wheel forward, the airplane descends. The airplane climbs if she pulls the wheel back. Even on a small airplane, a pilot has a number of dials, gauges, switches, and lights on an instrument panel that look much like an automobile dashboard. On large airplanes, instrument panels cover the front sides and ceilings of the cockpit. The instruments tell a pilot everything she must know about the condition of an airplane and its equipment. The instruments tell her how fast the plane is going, the direction it is flying, how much fuel is left, and many other things. Cockpit radio equipment permits, permits her to talk to the people on the ground to get landing instructions and weather information, and to be sure she will not run into another airplane in bad weather. Other radar sets and radios help her avoid bad storms and navigate her, navigate her airplane. Large planes have automatic pilots that fly the planes for the crew. This is a pretty poetic photo to the side. It's pretty much just black and white, like no detail. It's really like a, like a, an imprint. And it says, small general aviation airplanes can go many places where there are no roads. This plane has carried scientists to McCall Glacier in Alaska. And it's a dark plane, like a silhouette of a plane just in snow. Okay. Okay, almost done. <laughs> I'm only rushing because I have dinner to get to. I mean, airplanes are great and all, but food is also... Types of airplanes. Three kinds of power systems are used today to furnish thrust. One, gasoline engines turn propellers that pull or push an airplane through the air. These airplanes are called conventional aircraft. They usually fly at speeds of 120 to 225 miles an hour, but some can go faster. Two, jet engines that turn propellers are called turboprops. Planes with such engines fly from 250 to 400 miles an hour. Three, pure jet engines push an airplane through the air at very high speeds, 600 miles an hour or faster. Most airplanes today are monoplanes, which means they have only one wing. In the early days of aviation, airplanes had two wings, biplanes, or three wings, triplanes. Early airplanes had engines that were very heavy compared to the power they produced. More wings added more lift, but also more drag. However, the lift was more than the drag, so the airplanes flew but could not go very fast. The airplanes at work. Different kinds of airplanes are used for many different jobs. The three main kinds of airplanes, according to use, are the general aviation airplanes, military airplanes, and airliners. General aviation airplanes. General aviation airplanes include every kind of airplane except military airplanes and commercial airliners. Over 125,000 general aviation airplanes were used in the United States in 1970. Some people like to fly as a sport or hobby. My dad does. The airplanes they use are usually small, one-engine planes that carry one to four people. 
Some pilots of these small planes are very skilled and fly single-seat acrobatic airplanes for fun or to make money at air shows. An acrobatic airplane will not go very far or very fast, but is very strongly built. A pilot can fly an acrobatic plane upside down and do tricks in it that she could not do in a big airplane or in one not speci specially built. The business or executive airplanes have come into use during the last 20 years. These airplanes range from six or eight passenger conventional single engine airplanes to multi-engine pure jets that carry 80 people. Many businessmen or women want to work while they travel to faraway appointments use these airplanes. Businesses use airplanes for many other jobs. Some airplanes, called agricultural aviation airplanes, spray fertilizers or insecticides on fields of cotton, wheat, or other crops. Such an airplane carries only a pilot and a lot of tanks and machines to spray chemicals on the fields. Oil and mining companies use airplanes to carry people and spare parts to oil wells and mines in, in high mountains, swamps, and other hard-to-get places all over the world. Many parts of the world have few roads or railroads because of deserts, jungles, or year-long snow. Only airplanes can carry doctors, food, and other supplies to the people who live in these places. Sometimes instead of wheels, the airplanes have skis to land on snow or floats to land on water. Military airplanes. The military use all kinds of airplanes from very small ones to teach people to fly to huge eight-engine jet bombers such as the B-52. Okay, we just learned about all that. I'm going to skip it. Airliners. The airline industry uses many kinds of airplanes. Air taxis, which fly short trips and can use small airports, are much like business airplanes. Local service airlines fly short distances and use airplanes that carry from 40 to 80 people. Many of these airplanes are turboprops or conventional aircraft because propeller-driven airplanes can use smaller airports than pure jets can. Some huge jet airliners can carry 490 people for 6,000 miles at speeds over 600 miles an hour. They fly across the U.S. in less than five hours and across the Atlantic Ocean in about six. Passengers may watch movies, eat meals, and live as if they were in a flying city. Supersonic transport, SST, passenger airplanes, which fly faster than the speed of sound, have traveled from continent to continent at a speed of 1,400 miles an hour. Some began regular service in 1976. If they're talking about, like, the Concorde and stuff, that is, uh, I don't, that is no longer. Because um, they were not safe enough. Okay, that's it for airplanes. Ooh. So that's it for this week for our normal encyclopedia reading. Um, the plan was to have a guest, my friend Sylvie McNamara, come on and discuss with me the material that we just that I just read all about. But um, somehow my, uh, my, my recorder just totally conked out while we were hanging out and I made a nice dinner for her. We were hanging out, had nice music, everything was great. We were having really funny, good convo about all this stuff. And, uh, and like an hour later, I looked at the mic and nothing had been recording. So 
we decided to record the next hour of Hanging Out, um, which had its funny moments in itself, mostly just us being kind of bitter and regretful of what had just happened. Um, so I wanted to include some of the best of that hour. Uh, there's a little segment about us talking about B-52s being refueled in midair, and then cutting to some completely irrelevant information about The Bachelor, which is our favorite show. And, uh, yeah, and at the end, we just sort of have a recap and, and talk about what to look forward to next time when we do this for real. So here it is. Sounds so scary to be that close to another plane. Oh, my God, I can't even imagine. Whoa. How do they do that? Like, dude, I don't know. It's like one of them must, do you think one of them just totally like shuts off or they like keep moving at the same, with the same force? I have no idea. This just seems so dangerous. The things we do to like, just keep something in the air for that long. I was gonna say, like, kill people all around the yeah, world. Yeah, I mean, that's true. <laughs> put a lot of money into that. It's crazy, it's like a bee sting, you know? It's like, it's like the top plane is, has like a stinger that injects yeah. fuel into it. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of like stuff that I've seen from like in space, you know, where mm-hmm. things like latch on. Yeah, it's true. But they're like, it's different, you know? You don't have the risks of gravity in the same way. Great. As being in our atmosphere. That's really cool. Wait, do you want to see this or no? What is it? Mishaps. Oh shit, yeah, I do want to see that. It is like a hummingbird kind of bee thing. So it's this weird, like, you know, like we won't point fingers at you if you don't point fingers at us kind of situation where it's like the bomb fell and then we suffered and it's so weird and like every, um, there's a picture of Obama making, so he visited Hiroshima and it was a big deal because no American president had Had done it it. and um, they've got got a picture of him in the museum and the caption on it, at least the English translation of the Japanese caption is President Obama expresses his opinion. <laughs> That's literally else. it. Yeah, it's Whoa. the whole thing is very weird. It's like very wow. eerie, strange. You know, it's I don't know. It's just uh, like we like oh God, we that, like that stuff. That governor. Oh yeah, from from, from who is who America? Is America? Oh, what the fuck? That I was mean, a good. That was actually yeah. the perfect intersection of <laughs> yeah, what we're so talking it was about. Good... It was like. Totally this kind of media-centered, like, entertaining, let's see how messed up this person is, but, like, it had concrete results, too. And the crazy thing about that is that the way it's being talked about in the media is, like, oh, he yelled a racial slur and got fired. And it's, like, that is not the craziest <laughs> thing. Or, like, the tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. the part where he drops if his pants and starts trying to rub his ass on Sasha. <laughs> yeah, and, like, this whole, like, I'm going to make you gay kind of thing, you yeah. know? Like, as a, <laughs> as, like, like a, a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, 
Like, oh. it gets so much bleaker. Yeah. And just, like, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Cannot believe that happened. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, like, truly, I mean, it was shocking to me. I yeah. Guess. Crazy. Yeah. And then Corinne. God bless her. Mm. I read about that. I don't know if you did. The Vanity Fair thing? Yeah. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I mean, their gloss on the Bachelor in Paradise scandal seemed uh, ahead of the fact. Uh-huh. You know, like it seems yeah, like... Yeah, they said a very solid, like, yeah, they definitely right. pushed it off. And Corinne and... hasn't talked about it that way since that first statement that she made. And mm. it seems like many of the people who were there feel really complicated about what yeah. happened. And Corinne's blame was on producers, not DeMario in the end. And also, like, I don't know. I mean, there's a whole issue that DeMario... Uh, what was it? That Corinne... He was like, DeMario was like the third Wait, guy where were we? Aircrafts? Oh, yeah. We got really far afield from <laughs> the topic. <laughs> None of that is probably useful. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe a sign that we need to start a Bachelor podcast. Yeah, seriously. I feel like I have a lot to say about The Bachelor. I think it'd be cool. Like, we, do you listen to any? Are there? there the Bachelor podcast? Oh, yeah. I listen to a bunch of them. Are, <laughs> is, do you feel like if we had one, we'd contribute anything new? Or is it mostly like we... Um, do the same stuff other people are doing. Well, there are, like, several categories of Bachelor podcasts, I guess. Uh, there are, like, the ones that are done by contestants. Uh-huh. So, oh, like, yeah. Olivia has one, and Ben right. and Ashley, I have one. And, you know, yeah. there's, like, a proliferation of those, and they bring other guests on. There's, like, the Reality mm-hmm. Steve one, which feels like its own category, where yeah. he does, like, the sort of definitive interviews with all of the cast yeah. members and stuff. And then there, okay. are, there are, like big media organizations that sponsor Bachelor podcasts that are more like what we would be doing. So there's okay. like Juliet Littman. So uh, as I maybe have already mentioned, but maybe I have not, because Sylvie, my friend Sylvie McNamara and I have been sitting around um, the table talking into this mic for like two hours now, but uh, over an hour of it was lost <laughs> um, through technological Oops. mistakes. Um, but we just came up with a plan, uh, to start this next week. <laughs> so we're postponing, but I figured we sh- will have like a little teaser moment where we get excited about next week. Um, so this week was all aircrafts, airplanes, that whole thing. But next week we're looking at, let's see, air pollution. I'd be very curious to know what you want to say about air pollution. I took a class on the history of pollution in college. Of course you did, Sylvie. (laughs) You're going to know, you're going to have so much to say. Um, It's going to be like, air pollution is okay. Like, it's, you know, as long as you keep it in check, it's fine. Um, Air pressure, I think that's going to be fascinating. I love scuba diving facts. Okay, airship, Alabama... What do you know about Alabama? That's going to be an interesting one, too. I've never been to Alabama. That's going to be an interesting one, I Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of historical intrigue that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. Alaska. Alamo. Yeah, it's going to get... Oh, the Alamo. The Alamo. The Alamo. Never forget. Um, But I figured real quick, let me do... Let's do a really quick, like, impromptu, like, kind of one answer 
Like, I, I have no idea what I'm going to ask you. I'm just going to, like, ask you a bunch of questions. Okay. okay. And you answer, like, simply. Okay. Um, do you like encyclopedias? Fuck yeah. Great answer. Do you like this one? Yeah. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I mean, I'm, I'm only familiar with a, a narrow subset of the A section of this <laughs> encyclopedia, but I learned a lot of fascinating things about aircraft carriers in the Air Force today. Cool. It made me think about uh, a lot of bizarre things that we do in this world, like totally. rescuing astronauts from the ocean in their totally. little little capsules that touch. No, no, they come out of the capsule in the parachutes, right? Yeah. And then yep. and then they scoop then them they, up. They scoop them. And those are the same people that are operating Air Force One. Yep. And then what else did we they're learn? They're refueling. They're refueling in midair. And uh, and the aircraft carriers are like mm-hmm. the little floating towns, you mm-hmm. know, with the movie theaters and the churches and the post offices. Yeah, like this encyclopedia is sick. I'm yeah. down. <laughs> and then, and also somehow it inspired us to talk about the batch and everything so it just it obviously it really devolved inspires a lot of <laughs> great conversation um other question uh do you uh what's better the internet or the encyclopedia um i i mean i i don't know I mean, the, the, the internet, internet is the because answer. Like, yeah for sure there's a wealth yeah. but you but, know it feels nice to have constraints yeah Sometimes constraints can be very productive. Yeah. Are you looking forward to adopting a new dog? Yes, I am. Oh, I know he's so great. Yeah, she's she's a little freak. Cool. Um, okay, I think that's all I have. All right. Um, <laughs> it's going to be really fun to do this next week. Uh, for all of my, like, 20 listeners out there. Um, Sup? <laughs> you were going no, to have to. Oh, my God. <laughs> She, I, I maybe cut out what she just said, but she said, what's up, friendly new friends? <laughs> um, we, uh, yeah, I'm postponing this once again, so super sorry, but it's just not my fault that the mic bailed on us. It bailed. And there was some good material. Yeah. Yep. There was a nice discussion of our childhood encyclopedias, which we might organically we reintegrate back. into yeah, we should bring back. other conversations. Yeah, 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 we'll do it next time. All right. Bye, Sylvie. Bye, Clara. Bye. Bye.